Father, uh, what more can words say? We have seen such magnificent work of you in the life of the families of this church today. And then in that baptism video, just bringing tears to eyes, remembering your work in the life of many individuals in this church. God, you are at work. And we believe in faith. This is just the beginning. There is more to do. And you are looking for faithful men and women, faithful churches who will stand on the authority of your word to proclaim the greatest message of all time, a message that will never die, a message that will never be taken out of this world no matter how hard they may press to have it so. You will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Oh Lord, lend your strong support to us now, to these families, to these individuals, to us as a church, to me now in upholding your word, to speak your words, God, not mine. Let every word that is uttered be from your mouth to your people. And I pray that, God, you would find teachable hearts, people not coming with agendas, but coming with desire to grow and to be trained in righteousness today. Oh, Lord, you're looking for people such as this who will trust you in humility and walk with dependency to see you do more than we could ask for or think in our lives and in this church, not for us, just for this generation, but for generations to come. Father, may it be so here. Strengthen us now, we pray, to listen and for myself to speak. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, praise the Lord for his Can we just give the Lord another hand for all of that work that we have been seeing him do? Amen. Praise the Lord. We are so thankful for this and we genuinely welcome you here today. We are going to jump right into our text today. And for those of you who do not have a Bible and can't turn to Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, where our text is from today, please put up your hands because we want to drop a copy of God's word in front of you. Okay, we want to put a copy of God's word in your hands so that you can follow along. Put them up nice and high and our ushers will drop them off. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, then we want to give that to you as a gift to you to say thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Well, this sermon series we are looking at here is called Towards the Goal, God's Glory in the Church. Towards the goal, God's glory in the church. And we have been looking at the four pillars that you see around you on either side of this gymnasium right now. We started off the series on unapologetic preaching, moving to unashamed worship. Last week we looked at unceasing prayer. And all of that is building towards what we will look at today. Pillar number four, unafraid witness. Sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. If I could sum up, what being unafraid witness is, it's all about evangelism. All about evangelism. But before we dive in too far, we've got to make sure we're all on the same page as to what evangelism actually means. All right, so you see a definition on the screen here. It says, the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or by personal witness. Okay? The spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. 
okay? And you say, well, wait a second, why is this so important, this whole idea of being an unafraid witness and proclaiming the authority of God's word with those around us? And here, because we have a problem. We have a problem today, and it is this. Too much world in the church and not enough church in the world. We've got too much of the world in the church today and we don't have enough church in the world. I love how one of my seminary profs from Southern uh, said this, Owen Strachan from his book Risky Gospel, I love how he puts this, too many of us reduce our faith to church attendance and our own daily pursuit of God. These things are very important, but God intends us to be reaching into the darkness. He wants us not to simply identify the darkness, but to plunge into it. To plunge into it. So let me ask you a question to start. What's keeping you from plunging into it? Think back to this last week. The opportunities that God gave you to share your faith at work in the home, in discipling our kids, Um, when you go to the store, when you're on the street with your neighbors, what kept you from plunging into it at those moments? Because the opportunities God gives us, it's not a matter of if he gives us opportunities, The, the fact of the matter is, will you recognize them? Because he wants to give you them and they're right there. From taking who God puts in front of you to proclaim the gospel. Maybe for some of us here, it's a lack of courage. Maybe we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of what people will think of us. Maybe it's a lack of desire. I don't really feel like sharing my faith. Maybe it's a lack of knowledge. How do I share my faith? Maybe it's a lack of understanding of what it means to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, what is that for you. And here in this text, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus from a Roman jail cell, no less, put in prison. I'll show you that jail cell in a few minutes. Put in prison for sharing his faith. And he asked the church in this letter to the Ephesian church, he asks them to pray for him for the two vital pieces that are the foundation for all gospel proclamation. If you take these two pieces out, you do not have an unafraid witness. You do not have faithful gospel proclamation if you miss these two things. Now think about this. Here Paul is about to ask for prayer from the Ephesians church. He's sitting in a dark, dungy jail cell. He could have asked for so many things right then to pray for. A whole laundry list of stuff. But why did he ask them to pray to strengthen him to share the gospel Here's why. Because he knew what we need to know today. It's the greatest mission of our time. It is the greatest mission in history of the world. This one that we are called to. And Paul knew, just as we must know today, that all faithful and fearless witnessing for the gospel depends on these two things and cannot happen without them. Why? 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 And why is... Why is what we're about to look at in the context of spiritual warfare, he's writing in Ephesians 6, prayer leading into gospel witness. Why is that in the context of spiritual warfare? Here's why. Because witnessing for the gospel is spiritual warfare. You are going to battle every time you take up that mantle to witness with those God has put around you. Let's read Ephesians 6, 18 
to 20. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers for all the saints. Verse 19, and also for me, Paul writes, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He asked for boldness. He asked for words. To fearlessly proclaim the gospel, we must pray for God's power through Christ. As we see here, look at verse 19. Pray for God's power through Christ. And also for me, Paul says, that words may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. See where he starts that off in the first part of the verse in part A where he says, and pray also for me. Pray for me. After instructing the Ephesian believers and how they should be praying in the spirit for one another, as we looked at last week in unceasing prayer from verse 18, Paul now asks them to pray for him that he would be able to continue right where he was to be a fearless witness for the gospel in prison, even though this is the very reason he was put there in the first place. And in asking for prayer, notice this, we talked about this with all of the families that came up here today. In asking for prayer, Paul again recognizes his complete dependency on the Lord for being faithful in sharing the gospel with those around him. It didn't matter. Like the Apostle Paul, do you realize this? The Apostle Paul wrote approximately two-thirds under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted church upon church upon church upon church. Saw hundreds of leaders trained up and elders and pastors. And yet here he is asking for prayer because he recognizes he can't be a faithful gospel witness on his own. And all of his experience and stuff in the past was not going to help him. He needed the Lord more now to continue to do this. Just think about that for a moment. And you see, Paul's not sitting, as I said, he's not sitting in like a club med or, or condominium on such. Here's a picture of where he's sitting. This is called Mamertime Prison in Rome. This is his jail cell. Guaranteed it wasn't that clean. He's sitting there in the dark with his future on the line, uncertain of what that would be. Put yourself in his shoes here, loved ones. You're sitting in that dark prison. There isn't a window around. You have no idea whether you're going to get out. There's hostility towards you from everyone around you. What would you pray for? What would I? Would we pray to get released? Would we pray for comfort? Would we pray for food? Would we pray for... Like, what would you pray for in that moment? See, here's the example. Paul's sitting there in a cell. And how easy, how easy, loved ones. I was so convicted by this this week. How easy would it have been for him just to look at the odds of where he was, locked away in a jail cell, heavily guarded, without any hope in any human eyes. Just look at the odds and in fear, worry, anxiety, self-pity, or resentment of where God had allowed him to go, 
because God's sovereign hand put him there. He allowed him to go there. How easy would it have been for let those things, for letting those things to help him back down from pursuing the mission he was called to through sharing the gospel with those around him? How easy? Well, when I get into a more comfortable situation, then I'll share the gospel. When I'm not going through sickness or this trial, when I'm getting more of what, my, what I want, then I'll be in a better place to share the gospel. See what Paul's doing here? When I have some food in my stomach, then I'll share the gospel. When I'm not beaten, then I'll share the gospel. And why does he pray for this? Why does he pray for words and boldness. Because here's the reason that he knows, and we must understand this, is this. Faithful prayer is the fuel of faithful proclamation. Faithful prayer is the fuel for faithful proclamation of the gospel. Without it, faithful witness doesn't happen. Fear will take over. Anxiety will take over. The desire for comfort will take over. We start to be determining our witness by the circumstance we're in, the health issue we have, the trial we're facing, instead of fixing our eyes on Christ. So how about you? How about me? What would you ask for in a moment like this? Right here, if that's you. Because what is the first thing that comes to your mind, I'll tell you, is one of the first things that has a hold of your heart. Would you ask for boldness, loved ones? Would I? To stay faithful in the mission you've been given as followers of Christ, that this mission is not dependent on our circumstances. It's meant to be a part of every circumstance. When your flesh is tempting you to protect your own reputation or get fearful or anxious or worried in the opportunity that's in front of you to share the gospel. I mean, you might not be in a jail cell. You might not be sitting in a jail cell like this, but perhaps it's the opportunity with your neighbors while you're cutting your grass, walking your dog, watering your plants. Maybe it's with your coworkers every day that you're going to see tomorrow that God has put in front of you. Maybe it's with family members that aren't believers. Maybe, maybe it's with this Canada Day outreach that we have coming up, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 50,000 tracks. Maybe it's the battle against pride from self-pity or resentment that you're being tempted with going through the trial or sickness. Now listen, loved ones. I'm not denying those things are hard. And I don't know exactly what your circumstances are and I will not do you dishonor by trying to say that I know all the ins and outs of it. But, know this today. That circumstance that you're going through right now, that you're in right now, that trial, that sickness, those circumstances are under the sovereign hand of God over your life. And they have been allowed by him and are for our good and his glory as we trust him and look to him through them and not ourselves. He loves you. He's in control over it. 
are we seeing him in it and staying faithful to what he's calling us to? Because here's the reality. It's hit me this week. Faithfulness to this mission is forfeited when our eyes stay on ourselves. Faithfulness is forfeited when our eyes stay on ourselves. It's all about us and our circumstance and our situation. Yes, even in the sickness. Even when it's so hard and all you want to do is weep and groan and moan. Loved ones, I've been there. You probably have too. But remembering that God is sovereign and calls us for his glory right there. And yet instead of giving into that, even though his flesh was no doubt pounding on Paul to do so, Paul calls the believers to pray for him, to stay faithful to the proclamation of the gospel. Specifically, he asked them to pray for two things that have been given to believers through the power of Christ Jesus in us that are essential for this. And these are the same things we must ask for today. God has given us all we need to do this. And he's made it simple. He's made it simple. He's given us simple tools that we are to use. The first thing we must pray for is this, for his words. Look at verse 19. And pray also for me that, what does Paul ask for? That words may be given to me in opening my mouth. He doesn't ask, give me the next opportunity to have the evangelism outreach. He says, give me words. Give me the next amount of resources so we can set up a booth and do the... He says, give me words. The, the Greek word, and we're just, what kind of words is he talking about? The Greek word there for words is, get this, ready? Logos. You know what that means in Greek? Logos, divine words from God with supernatural power, a.k.a. the word of God. The Logos, the word. He says, give me this word. Give me the words to speak. Paul understood, loved ones, as we must today, that our words are completely powerless to change the heart of a person. Did you get that in child dedication? We can't change the heart of a person. Parents, you can't do that. I can't change the heart of my neighbor. No matter what sort of convincing argument, like how often do we just get stuck in fear when God gives us an opportunity? Because like, I'm not going to know what to say. not going to say. Here's what you say. Don't try to think up some strategy. Well, how am I going to convince them? It's not your job or mine. We're to be faithful to speak the words of the Logos himself, Jesus Christ. They're the ones with supernatural power. Let's not try to play God in our witness to people. See, without asking God to give us his words and sharing the gospel, all we have to go on is our own words and reality check, we will fail every time. No wonder people get so discouraged. Well, I've been witnessing to this person all the time, all the time, and nothing's happening. Listen, listen. When you recognize that the power is in the word of God and not in yourself, that gives you the perseverance to keep going. Recognition of where the power comes from gives the perseverance to keep going because you don't put it on yourself. Love this. In asking God for his words, you know what we're saying? In that moment, we take a moment to pray when you're with that person in front of you, when you're at the store, when you're with your neighbors, you ask a moment, take a moment to pray. In asking God for his words, we're saying, it's up to you, Lord. It's up to you. Stopping to pray in that moment. But by not asking 
for the Lord's words and for his power and his help. We're saying, it's up to me. And I wonder, this hit me even this morning as I was reviewing this message. I wonder, loved ones, how much of the anxiety you and I experience in sharing our faith is the result of us trying to do God's work for him. How much of the fear we have about witnessing is the result of us trying to do God's work for him. Is it for you? It is for me at times. For sure. And yet through Jesus Christ in us, God promises that he will give us every word we need to say. Exactly what he wants said in declaring the mystery of the gospel that tells of how Jesus Christ came to earth to pay the penalty for our sin and died on a cross to save all those who repent of their sin and put their faith in him alone as their Lord and Savior. You say, well, how can I trust this? How can I trust this? Praise the Lord, he tells us. Love that. He tells us, look at the screen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 to 20. Jesus says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak. Love that. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious when the Lord delivers you an opportunity to speak to your coworker tomorrow. Don't be anxious. Or what you are to say for what, love this, what you are to say will be, will, there's the promise right there, will, will be given to you in that hour, in that moment. For it is not, it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. When you speak God's words to people, it is the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Pressures off you. Our call, loved ones, is not to focus on having the right words. Our job is to be faithful, to step into the opportunity. The real question isn't, will God give me the words, but rather, will you trust him to do it and step out in faith in that moment? You're like, what if I can't remember his word? What do I get? Listen, if you're in the word of God, we'll get to that in a sec. He'll bring it. Trust him. 90% of being faithful as an unafraid witness is just simply showing up and making yourself available. That's 90% of it. Show up on Canada Day. Show up with your family, show up in your, co- in your jobs. 90% of being faithful showing up and say, God, I don't know how you're going to use me, but I'm called to this and I want to be faithful in it. I don't know how you're going to do that. That's not up to you to know. Our job is to make ourselves available. So how about you? How about me? Who are you relying on right now in sharing the gospel? When you think of witnessing, who are you relying on? to witness to your coworkers, to the other soccer parents, to your children and family. Who is it? So the first thing we ask, we must pray for God's power through Christ or for his words. And the second thing Paul tells us right here, verse 19, is for boldness, for his boldness. Look at verse 19. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Here it is boldly to proclaim that's to preach Greek means to preach the mystery of the gospel his boldness 
You know what the Greek word for boldness means there? I don't know what pictures come into your mind, loved ones, when you think boldness. A guy on a soapbox getting all face and like red cherry tomato, pounding his Bible away. But actually, that's not what it's depicting here. Okay? So often that's just the opposite of boldness. But here's the reality. The Greek word for boldness means courageous clarity. Fearless confidence. Doesn't that just resonate? Fearless confidence, courageous clarity in that moment. Well, you say, well, what does that look like? Here it is. It's not demanding. It's not rude. It's not obnoxious. But here's what it is. Here's what boldness is. Clear and direct communication in the face of potential opposition. Just clear and direct communication in the face of potential opposition. For example, when someone asks, hey, what are you, uh, hey, Daniel, Daniel, what do you do on Sunday mornings? You want to come out? Instead of saying, well, I get together with a bunch of friends and we hang out. Say, I'm going to church. You want to come? When someone asks your work, says, well, what do you believe? You say, well, I believe there's a God. Or do you say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want my life to reflect that. Start there. Just courageous clarity in the face of that opposition. See, because here's, here's the beautiful connection we see in verse 19 that Paul makes here. Christ's words, get this, Christ's words give us Christ's boldness. Give me the words and then I'll be able to proclaim it boldly. Give me the tool and I'll use it by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Christ's words give us Christ's boldness. His words have supernatural power. That's why I just unashamedly say, we've got to be in the word of God every day. We have to have the word of God, as I said last week, in our hearts as an armory in our hearts, ready for what we will face that day and those opportunities that God gives us that we can engage them without fear because Christ's word gives us Christ's boldness. And here's the reality, loved ones. Boldness for Christ comes from intimacy with Christ. Boldness for Christ comes from intimacy with Christ. More t- break it down even further. More time with Christ, more boldness for Christ. That's the way it is. That's why Satan works so hard to keep you out of God's word every day. Say, it's not needed. It's not, yes, it is. This is warfare. Love how Acts 4.13 says this. It says, Now, when they, that is the Jewish leaders of that time, saw the boldness, there it is, boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. They didn't have seminary degrees. They weren't all well-versed in hook, line, and sinker of every... They didn't even have the finished canon at that point. Uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Intimacy. Boldness for Christ flows out of intimacy with him. Always. Be with him. You don't have to be the most well-versed. You don't have to know every passage of scripture. Make yourself available in your time with the Lord and watch what he does with that. So how about you? Have you been with Jesus, loved ones? Have you been with Jesus? Are you making being with Jesus a priority? Abiding with him every day. Apart from him, we can do nothing. 
Because here's the truth. Love this. Hit me this week. As Christians, we should be the most fearless people on the planet. You notice that? As Christians, we should be the most fearless people on the planet, knowing that our future is secure in the hands of a sovereign God whose plans for us are good, whose power is unmatched, and whose purposes cannot be stopped. We should be the most fearless people on the planet. What do you got to lose? We'll get to that in a moment. Proverbs 28.1, one of my favorite passages in scripture, it says this, the righteous, means followers of Christ, are as bold as a lion. Bring it on. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Intimacy with Christ is boldness for Christ. To fearlessly proclaim the gospel, we must pray for God's power through Christ, for his words and for his boldness. And with that, last point for today, we must remember our identity in Christ. So we have God's words, we have God's power through Jesus Christ for boldness, but now we need to remember our identity in Christ. Look at verse 20. Paul goes on to say, for which I am an ambassador in chains, there's the identity piece, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, Paul makes a statement here on his true identity as a follower of Jesus Christ, and he calls himself an ambassador. That term for ambassador means this. It is a representative of the king from one country to another. And here's the thing about an ambassador. We see them all over Ottawa, right? I love where we live. Love this city. It is the highest ranking official from that country. Now think about this as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Highest ranking officials given full authority, subordinate to the one who is over us, but full authority in him to do what he calls us to do. You see, the role of the ambassador is to declare or proclaim the whole message of the king to others. He didn't get, you and I, we didn't get to pick and choose which parts we want to proclaim and which parts we want to leave out. We're called to proclaim the whole message. And he had, here's the, here's, this is awesome. He had the full authority of the king behind him. When the king sent the ambassador in, the king's like, I'm basically, I'm going with you. He had the full authority of the king behind him and he had no reason to give in the fear of the ones he was called to proclaim the message to. Break it down in today's terms, the king had his back. The king has your back, loved one, in the office tomorrow. The king's got your back with your neighbors. The king has your back. Love it. And see, when Paul says, I'm an ambassador, he is declaring, this is so important, he is declaring that he is a son of the King of Kings, a servant of God Almighty, and there is, no, know this, there is nothing or no one that can take that away from him. No one can take that away from him. The world can take everything else, can't take that. That's why it's so important to be grounded in that identity. Can't take it. This recognition of true identity in Christ allows him to be fearless in sharing the gospel. Notice this. What's the number one thing the enemy tries to attack in you and me as followers of Jesus Christ? If the enemy is going to attack you, and it looks different ways in different circumstances for different people, but it's the same thing. He attacks your identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. That's the number one thing he goes after all the time. He tries to blind us to our true identity in Christ and replace it with things like this. How often do you hear this? 
I am a teacher. I am a lawyer. I am a pastor. I am a mom. I am, fill it in for you. We've all said it. Just me, maybe? Just me? Just me? Yeah, we've all said it. I am, but that's not true. That is not true. And it's no wonder we give in to fear in opportunities to witness, because here's the reality. Our witness for Christ, you notice this? It's a threat to all those things. It's a threat to you being your mom because your kids can now be taken away from you. It's a threat to you being a lawyer because you could lose your job. It's a threat to you, fill in the blank. All those things can be taken away if that's where our identity is based in. And so no wonder we back down in fear. It's a threat to your reputation with your neighbors, being the only one not invited to the block party. It's a threat to your money. Lose your job? Where's that going to come from? You see, Christ calls us to be more concerned about repentance than our reputations, loved ones. His reputation is on the line. That's the mission that we have. And in Christ, those things are not who you are. Hear this today. It is not who you are. They are what you do. But here's the thing. Who you are is not what you do. Who you are is not what you do. Who you are is who God says you are. What you do is the mission field he's given you. See what a difference that makes? That changes everything. The only identity that being an unafraid witness is that it is not a threat to is the one that can't be taken away from you. Is it? It's the one that can't be taken away. Because true identity is never based on your performance of something. It's never based on your performance. We have a saying in this church. It says, you are loved for more for who you are than what you do. Always. And so we say, well, wait a sec. I don't, I don't know what my identity in Christ looks like. What does it mean? What does our identity in Christ look like? And who does he say we are? Okay, 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 cool. I'm going to give you a little snapshot of four verses. These are just four out of literally hundreds. Ready? Ready? Here we go. You are a new creation. You'll see them on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Christ calls you a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The old person that would give in to fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, grief, identify with your job or what you do is dead. And the new person, the ambassador for Jesus Christ, whose identity is now who God says you are, is raised to life. And that can never be taken from you. You are a new creation. Love that. That's a good point for an amen. Yeah, there you go. Amen. The oldest passed away. Here you go. Secondly, so you're a new creation. You are chosen. You are chosen by God. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why did God choose us? 
not because of our smarts, not because of how much stuff we have. Here's why he chose us. Look, that you may proclaim, there it is, preach the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are chosen by God, loved one. Don't you let the enemy pound you to say that you are worth anything less than a child of the king of kings. You are a new creation. You are chosen. Here it is. Ready? You are adopted. He didn't just choose you. He adopted you. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See that? He's like, you don't have to fall back into that fear anymore. I got your back. The king has your back. But have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See that term Abba is the greatest intimacy a son can have with his father, a daughter can have with her father. Abba, Father. It's that picture of God with his arms around you saying, I'm sustaining you. I love you. Not because of what you do, but who I am creating you to be. Love it. Lastly, here it is. You are a new creation. You're chosen. You're adopted. You are precious, loved, and protected. Know this. You are precious to him. You are loved by him. And you are protected by him. Isaiah 43 says, Fear not, God says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Look at this. You're not who the world says you are. You're mine. You're mine. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Because, here it is, you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through right now. You need to know this truth. I need to know this truth. You are precious to God. You are loved by God. And you are protected by God. This is a taste of our identity in Jesus Christ. For all those who have repented of their sin and put their faith in him, this is who God calls us to be. We don't have to live in the slavery of who we are by what we do anymore. Knowing the love of Christ for us. Here's the thing that this does in our identity. Knowing the love of Jesus Christ that he has for us compels us to love others in his name and commits us to that. Fearlessly. Fearlessly. So how about you? Who or what is your identity based in right now? What is it? As the Holy Spirit, just what is it based in right now? The question as we begin to close out here, it's this. How would remembering your true identity in Christ change the way you witness? Change the way you talk to your neighbor. Change the way you talk to the grocery store clerk, your coworker, Or change the way you think about this massive outreach we have next weekend. How would knowing your true and remembering your true identity in Christ change it? See, because here's the truth. A.W. Tozer said this, he says, loved ones, the fearful world around us needs a fearless church to pursue them. 
The fearful world around us needs a fearless church to pursue them. And as we pray for God's power through Christ and remember our true identity in Christ and choose to walk by faith in that each day, we begin to see that the task of witnessing, get this, the task of witnessing that is before us is never as great as the power that is within us to strengthen us through it. The task of witnessing that's before us is never as great as the power that is within us to strengthen us through it. He who is in us is greater, 1 John, than he who is in the world. And the last quote, worship team, come on up. The last quote I leave you with is from David Platt. He says this, Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. A love for God and for others compels and commits us to this. How will you respond? How will you respond to that today? Don't walk away and do nothing with it. That's what the enemy wants. Forget what you hear. Whatever. That guy's crazy. Okay. I'm okay with that. But think about this. How will you respond? 50,000 people one week from now have the opportunity to hear the gospel. These are in French and English. A fearful world around us needs a fearless church to pursue them. Let's pray. Father, build your kingdom. Thank you that We are, Lord, but uneducated, common people, just like your apostles, Lord, and we need your help so much. God, I pray that as your word went forth today, that God, you would be stirring a fearlessness in our hearts for those that love you and have given their lives to you. And for those that haven't, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, they would say, there's a God that is waiting to welcome me and love me for who he's made me to be, not who this world says I am anymore. I'm getting out of that rat race. That leads nowhere but darkness. And so I pray for those here who have, are wavering in their faith or feel weary in it, God, I ask in Jesus' name they would be strengthened through your spirit with great resolve to see your glory go forward as bold, unafraid witnesses for Jesus Christ. Awaken, Lord, the kingdom seed in us to see that happen. We pray, build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.